The Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast is presented by our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook and use promo code RTRS. And brought to you by By Nature Pet Food, slow cooked with Super Fusion, the official pet food of the Ricky. Get 20% off your first order at Chewy and Amazon by using promo code 20RTRS. Adam Kasabi, the official realtor of the process, processrealtor.com. LL Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged and kinetic skateboarding. Get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. On the show today, another NBA game missing half of the starters, but the Sixers prevail anyway against the powerful Los Angeles Clippers. Joel and Ben are in full award campaign mode. Mike disrespects Nikola Jokic and infuriates Denver fans. We will once again try to clear out the mailbag, including the Ricky being responsible for two new lifelong friends that met in law school that I know will warm Mike's heart. Before we get going, subscribe on YouTube. The uh, In one year, we've gone from 300 subscribers to now like 4,100. You can watch the pod. You can, you know, watch every eye roll and um, every, every, Every mic twist of hair and every spike adjust of hat right there on YouTube. Smash that subscribe button. Without any further ado, Amos and the chef. Larry, sweetie, the man is here. Say the name. I say the name. I say the name. We will write y'all. Welcome to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with another guy who spent the last 13 hours arguing with Denver Nuggets fans on Twitter. Not me. That is Mike Levin. I actually didn't. I actually did not do that. And we'll get to it. I just want to say for the YouTube and for if people notice the audio difference, I am currently in uh, John Gonzalez and Colleen Wolf's recording area. Mm. There's a lot of uh, NFL network stuff around me mm-hmm. um so and i'm not touching it or using it because i don't want to break it uh, but yeah i'm dog sitting for those guys as john and colleen are on a uh uh sandwich tour through philadelphia um for the first time in a year and a half they are stopping at every wawa they can see what uh um, what is their address there in california their home address I'll, yes. yeah i'll give it to you yeah um no, it's very nice, and it's very nice to, to hang with these dogs and uh, and not be in my apartment for sure. Okay, to the Denver thing. All right. Can I give the recap so, or no? Or do you want to no, give the recap? I'm giving it. Okay. I'm giving it. So okay. obviously I have on this podcast before a number of times mm-hmm. talked about how the, I, the, the just the phrase, the uh, idiom, the thing that rhymes that people like to repeat of the best ability is availability 
is stupid. It's always been stupid. If anyone's legitimate best ability is the fact that they're available, then they're not good. Mm-hmm. Then they're, they should have other abilities. It is an indictment on the rest of their skill set. If the best ability is simply being there and hanging around. Think about anybody you've ever interacted with. What, when you want to list what you like about them the most, if the first one is like, well, they're just like, they just linger. They sort of like, I can never really get them, get them, get them out. They stay at the party the whole time and like kind of weirdly want to help clean up but aren't actually good at it. Like it's not, no one likes that. It's not the best ability you, on the court in humanity ever. You've always said the best, been, the best ability is? Ability. Ability. Simpl- many abilities. And so some people now I've taken, I've obviously gotten uh, borderline obsessed and, and slightly manic about how much I hate this expression because it is dumb and people only repeat it because they've heard other people say it because it rhymes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tweeted about it. And people engaged with it and it was fine for a while. And then I went back in the writer's room and was working and I came out and looked at Twitter and I had hundred, hundred, dozens, plenty of Nuggets fans mm-hmm. just absolutely blowing me up, mm-hmm. assuming mm-hmm. wrongly, mm-hmm. actually wrongly, mm-hmm. that I was using this snippet mm-hmm. as a blow to Jokic's MVP hopes, that I'm saying Jokic isn't actually good. That's, n- first of all, not what I'm talking about at all. For- first of all, simply was just commenting on how dumb the expression is. Let's, let's establish that right away. Um, but obviously you guys don't think Jokic's best ability is availability either. And neither do I, but I think he's got so many abilities. There's so many abilities that he has that are better than the fact that he's played every game. But a lot lot of them, his offensive arms, like (laughs) it's, it's so many, but they're, they're, they're proves the point. Yes. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, no, they're, the reason they're sensitive and this is, this is why they get so angry at the thin air thing, because they think it's actually maybe a little bit true, is that when the Jokic versus Embiid debate happens, their one, their one point of contention of Jokic's advantage over Embiid is availability. That's, I don't agree with that. I, don't, I mean, he's had a, he's a, he, I mean, he's a better offensive player. Like Jokic, is, he's an incredible offensive player. And has had a great season. And I like him. And I think he probably is the MVP. I got caught no, up in no, this. Not. I got caught up in this situation here where I'm now having Embiid fans versus Jokic fans just arguing at each other. My, that's not my internet personality at all. I'm not the like my guy's better than your guy fan. At all. I have no interest in that conversation. There's people like threatening each other in my mentions. I have just I couldn't be less interested in that vibe of sports fan. And it's not what I was, it's straight up not what I was saying. But here's the predicament. Mm-hmm. You, there's nothing I can, like, you can't do that. I had to, if I start arguing with people and responding to a ton of people saying, no, actually, Jokic is good and, and maybe he is the MVP. And I think we'll see what the rest of the season is. And 
you just it immediately becomes like a tweeting through it situation. It's It sounds so pathetic over the internet and it probably sounds pathetic as I'm talking about it right now. Mm-hmm. There's just no, there's no way to online s- clear up a misunderstanding without sounding like a little twerpy piece of shit. And so that's never, I haven't gotten into many misunderstandings on the internet, on the internet, uh, on Twitter. This was essentially like my first day on the internet, it felt like. I kept typing almost responses and then being like, no, I'm, this is like such a little shit move. And so I just kind of let other people do that for me. And, and thank you to the, to the Sixers fans of my mention who are, who are like, no, he just hates the phrase, <laughs> which is like also stupid, uh, but true, but it is what I was saying. I just think it's a dumb, it's a dumb phrase and... Uh, but, I feel like a little uh, a little worthless guy. I think maybe part of this is uh, comeuppance for getting verified. Well, um, we, well, I always love the, the responses. Who, who gave this dude a blue check? Like the, once you earn the blue check, I mean, you earn, you yeah. earn that response. Yeah, it was like just people coming at me saying like bad take. It's like I'm not. If I wanted to say, if I wanted to talk about Jokic, like I would have. Like I would have said his name. I'm not subtweeting a MVP, an MVP candidate. Like it wouldn't it wouldn't be a necessary thing. Well, it's, uh, it was a, it was a weird few hours, and uh, and I essentially decided not to tweet through it. I I tweeted. I just stayed away. And I don't know if that's the right thing. There's just when you're caught up in a being a main character and a misunderstanding by accident. I don't know what the right way is to handle it. But I decided that anything I said was was stupid, and I wanted to address it here. And uh, well, what a what a what a dumb thing! And, and a vote in your favor, as I've I've dismissed it before. But a vote in your favor of Twitter being stupid. I think that. Thank you. Yeah. I, I've 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 said for a number of years that the internet is it's just people. It's the people. They these people have their opinions, and they're just as stupid in real life, if not if not more dumb. Um, but I think the the product here. Mm-hmm made it worse because there's no way to say all the clear up this misunderstanding without uh without looking like a little shit. So uh maybe we gotta get Sam Hinky to come in and fix fix Twitter so it's less uh we'll get it well it's less toxic like this. We'll get it right this time. Yeah, I mean the entire the uh group of social media companies like they they very simply uh create it being toxic. It it is part of their their um their goal, you know, not, I don't think toxicity is part of the goal, but what they do makes people toxic. But anyway, two, two responses. First of all, when I say my shit about Denver, now, obviously I'm trying to tweak them more than you were, but I received, which I wasn't, I know, I know, I know, I know, but their unacceptable response was to threaten my life and my dog's life, several people. (laughs) So, so they are, I think Denver is a lovely city. I, I actually do. The people, I actually, my 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 guess was that they were actually pretty easygoing because I just imagine everybody's high all the time in Colorado. I guess that's not true. They get a little, they get pretty crazy. You know, obviously Sixers fans do too. They got to fucking chill out. That's my first response. My second response is that, yes, Jokic is a better offensive player than Embiid, but Embiid is also an excellent offensive player, whereas 
Embiid is arguably, not saying he is, arguably the best defensive player in the game at the most important defensive position, and Jokic is barely average. Um, Embiid's team is in first place. Jokic's team is in like fifth place. I think it's pretty obvious that Embiid is the MVP, assuming that he doesn't get hurt again this year. So uh, that's my opinion, not yours. I just hate the phrase. I think mm-hmm. it's. I think it is. It minimizes what Jokic is good at. Ability, which is a lot of things. If you're saying, if you're just repeating a phrase that rhymes because it sounds nice, it's well, deeply dumb. John Wintermute, one of our our good friends, emailed in that you should not be able to continue insisting availability isn't the best ability without telling us what is the best specific basketball ability. Is it three point shooting, defensive switchability? No qualifiers, no excuses. Mike, tell us the best ability. Character. <laughs> so Sixers play the Clippers last night as is I, I meant to do this before the game to go through any good game this year and see whether all Sixers starters and all of that team starters were available for the game because once again we lose um we lose Kawhi Leonard Pat Beverly Serge Ibaka Tobias Harris Seth Curry for another, like, you know, premier game without premier players. That said, both teams shorthanded. The Sixers beat a good team. And it, although it, it became close and the Sixers lost the lead late in the game, I don't know how you felt while watching it. I had very little concern that they were going to lose that game, even when they when they went down by one point. Yeah, I mean, it's it is a, it is. The Sixers are good and they're better than they were last year, and but there still is, and that, this might just be NBA NBA teams in general. Like this, you you get an early lead and you're just like that's going away. They were up twenty to three, and it they beat they beat Dallas kind of end to end like last week, and that was nice. Um, but man, they they gave that up pretty quick, and then they just got hot from three. I think some of it was, you know, you just can't you can't keep it turned on the defensive intensity for that long and that consistently. But it was a little frustrating that they kept leaving guys open for three. The Clippers are the best shooting three-point team in the league. Um, and some some poor decision-making there. But, yeah, I mean, they just keep winning games for the first first place in the East. I thought it was a really interesting how they uh, how the Clippers doubled Embiid every time he got the ball. Um, it, it was... Bit, Especially in light of a an Embiid interview with with uh, Zach Lowe, which was cool, where he talked talked about consciously working on his double teaming and thinking about the playoffs and how that's going to happen. And him talking, I thought it was interesting when he talked about like Toronto is the only team that that really sends two or three guys and just refuses to let him do anything. I think the Clippers kind of did a similar deal, mm-hmm. um, where they really just kept getting the ball out of his hands, and he still <laughs> had thirty six points. Yeah, on twenty shots and eighteen uh, free throw attempts, just uh, unbelievable. Um, my friend, who's a Clippers fan, texted me how frustrating it'd be just to play against, uh, just because he's constantly getting fouled, and I, I can see that. I can see how it'd be frustrating, but like that's the only that's the only way you can defend him is is by is by just hacking the shit out of him. And even when in a game when he keeps giving the ball up, and they got a bunch of good looks out of his passes. He still gets 36 points on 20 shots. That's just, he's unbelievable. Yeah, it was incredible. And he is, an an emailer brought this up. When you look at scoring leaders, 
he is not listed because he is just under the uh what's the word i'm looking for the the threshold the threshold for i think it's 70 percent of the games and if he plays i think 12 of the last 16 he'll be there but if you if you open that up a little bit he's the third leading scorer in the nba 0.7 points behind bradley beal at 31 a game um and he's averaging like 35 a game for the last four games it's just it it looks incredibly you know his offense a lot of times used to look difficult you know, it looked like he, yeah. he had to work for every point, but with that, and we'll get to it when we talk about the Zach Lowe interview, but with the, the introduction of that, of him shooting those mid-range jumpers, um, and, and definitely a Harden, Harden developed this and great players who get to the line a lot develop this, just figure, he always had like this sweet through move, but he has things he can do where he knows he's going to get fouled and he doesn't have to work that hard to do it. And I think yeah. offense has just been less, you know, less strenuous on him this year. And adding that, sh- like being shooting still, it seems a little bit, uh, seems a little bit impossible to keep up the, and it has been regressing a little bit, keep up that mid-range um, shooting percentage. It just, it has made offense just easier for him to execute by my eyes this year, you know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think like like Ivica Zubac is a solid player, um, and they're they're shorthanded without without Ibaka anyway. But Zubac, I thought was doing a pretty good job on him, but he's just too good at getting drawing fouls, and so he gets Zubac in foul trouble, and all of a sudden they have to go to like the corpse of Boogie Cousins and have like Marcus Morris try to body him and and Pat Patterson, who inexplicably got hot from three and had eighteen points, um, and it's just it's just like. Every team comes into the game saying we got to make sure we don't get our big in foul trouble, and then every they game Joel gets their big in foul trouble. Yeah, pretty much instantly. And there's not that many great centers in the East um, that offensively, especially. Um, but if you think about like Bam or Miles Turner, or even like Brook Lopez, if you take those guys out of those games, if MB gets them in foul trouble early, then that in a playoff series like really throws their rest of their game plan into whack. And they, and if they're now having to go, okay, well, we're going to go small and make Joel cover the three, which is a strategy that, that definitely uh, impacts how he, how he you know, plays and how he's close to the rim and everything, that, that, that then allows him to dominate even more offensively and get offensive rebounds and pummel you there. And it's just, it's just such a skill set that I think is maybe not the most aesthetically pleasing to watch as far as the game flow goes, but how regularly he can get to the line whenever he wants to. And there's times when it's like, ah, that's a that's kind of a bullshit call and he's and he gets the benefit of the doubt. And there's times when he's getting fouled and they don't give it to him because mm-hmm. he's too big. And so it's a it, I think it all evens out and he's just really, really he's such a you know, they don't you don't talk too many Jokic you do talk about it, but like a really highly intelligent big man on both ends is so rare and you think I and mean, you just think about like how many guards end up becoming coaches mm-hmm. and analysts and stuff and there's just like I think big men are just like you're big just go stand there be a be a stiff go back and forth and for Joel to be as as like thinking the game as well as he is especially for picking up the game as late as he did it's just like guy's the man he's so special and I'm, I, I'm so happy he's here I actually think it's, it's- Interesting that one of the big men that I compare him all the time to is Patrick Ewing, who is one of the few big men that has ended up 
being a, a coach as well. Yeah. You know, I think there's a similarity there. The, the only real question is, and this has happened to Harden and, you know, to a much less, le- lesser, less important extent, Lou Williams is, do you continue to get those those calls in the playoffs? And when you don't, you're yeah. not going to get all of them, obviously. When mm-hmm. when you don't, like, are you are you able to adjust for that? And one of the, one of Joel's sort of, um, downfalls in the past would be when he gets frustrated, you know, when he's not getting those calls, his, his yeah. game can unravel, you know, that, that emotion that he's always used in a, in a positive way, I think has manifested in a negative way. The, the question will be, and I think he's prepared for it. And I think the, the low post interview showed that he's at least thinking about it when he doesn't get those calls, he's just going to have to, you know, adjust his game accordingly. You know, and yeah. I, I think and, you've he, seen, and you can you can remember in those in, in the three playoff series that Joel has lost that happening in all of them, mm-hmm. um, the Toronto series and both Boston series of him like just kind of putting up shots that he's w- waiting for a whistle and he doesn't get it and then it becomes, you know, his, his game suffers and even though he's been pretty good in the playoffs, up and down for sure, um, those moments of of like I'm expecting a call in the regular season and I'm not getting it in the playoffs is is something to be mindful of and hopefully you know he's 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 added so much to his game as he talked about to Zach of like you know I think it's very cool that him and him talking about like yeah we, we watched a lot of Dirk coming yeah. into the season and wanted to add that and it's like yeah that shows like he's just such a special guy that like you can show him one thing and then he's like okay I have that to my game now I am now I am now a combination of Dirk and Hakeem like that's just wild it's wild Mike, I don't know if you've been uh, paying attention to the news, but the housing market currently is absolute lunacy, 100% crazy. Have you heard that? I am, I am intimately aware. Oh, were you? Are you? you oh, yeah. It's, it couldn't, couldn't be worse in L.A. Yeah, it's, it's crazy everywhere. You know, houses go up for sale one day. There's like 30 bids that day. They're all over asking, yada, yada, yada. But given the way interest rates are and people want to, you know, move away from cities and all that kind of stuff. If you're buying a house, it's a crazy time, but it could also be a good time. That's why you need a good realtor, our official realtor of the process, Adam Kasabi, has been adding to his team. So he's got like this huge team now. They cover uh, Maryland and Delaware, all of Delaware, from the beaches all the way up to, uh, to Wilmington, all of Delaware. And he's helped out Ricky listeners in New York and California and Florida and, of course, New Jersey and Pennsylvania. So if you're looking to buy a home, now, now Adam, his specific specialty is Delaware beaches. Beach home's crazy now, too. That's his him, but he's got this whole team. And then he's got his, like, antlers. No, not antlers. What do octopuses have? Tentacles. Tentacles all over the place. One very special uh, uh, octopus with antlers. It has his tentacles all over the country. So if you're looking for a home in PA or New Jersey or something like that, he can help you out there too. Um, Look, he's your guy. This is a crazy time. You need somebody who is passionate about it, who is good at it, who can find you the house before anybody else can, who can tell you what to bid on it, who can tell you what your chances of getting it, or if you're selling a home. He's your guy. So they all work out of Long and Foster in Bethany Beach but, and cover all of Delaware and Maryland, but they can, they can take care of you wherever you are or find someone to take care of you. If you're going to buy a home, sell a home, get a beach home, whatever it is, Kasebe is your guy. It is spelled K-S-E-B-E. You can call him. You can text him 302-864-8643. 
or email adam at processrealtor.com. That's adam at processrealtor.com. Adam Kasabi and the Kasabi team, all named Adam, only one of them named Kasabi, at uh, the official realtor of the process. The two other, yeah, the, the two other things that I took out of that game, it was, it was another big FERC game who huh. continues to cement himself in the playoff rotation and becomes like when the shot is going up, when the three is going up, I don't care what his percentage is. I'm pretty sure it's going in. Five of 12 from deep. This yeah. Game. That is it's, really nice. It was great. He played great. And it was the... What? Oh, go ahead. Do you think he played any, uh, any defense you want to talk about? <laughs> there is a couple of steals in there. Um, why? Three it, steals again. Yeah. <laughs> He's great. And he, and he like... They, it used to be it's not happening anymore like it is straight up not they do it sometimes and they're going to do it in the playoffs just because like you take any little advantage but he used to get targeted all the time it was like bring Corkman's over switch every every single time and it's not happening anymore because they know that he can hang and he like he got he got Paul George on a switch and was not abused like he's just turned himself into a very solid defensive player and that is absolutely humongous he's going to the Sixers can no longer... I was thinking for most of the season, I was like, maybe they'll just bring him back because everyone's so happy uh, ever since the, the Furkan Korkmaz trade request. Which no, they have to keep him. They have to keep him. They have to keep him, but I think that it might just, it, they might, he might be unaffordable, um, which is good. Like, I'm happy for him. He might have just earned himself like $12 million a year or something. Oh, no. No. You think? I kind of think so. He's young. He can shoot. He plays defense. He's got those big, weird shoes. Uh, well, that's a, I think I think, that's he might, a I think he may make about about twelve million. Yeah, no. But let's 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 ride it out. Let's ride it out for him in the in the playoffs, and let's let's yeah. get him some meaningful minutes. And then Tyrese Maxey had his best game in a while. I think the most run in a while um, had that pull up three. Where it's funny when he so shot conf- so confident in, in his shot these days. It's well, really really nice to see when he shot that one pull up on the break. When I was watching it, I, I guess I was only paying half attention when I saw it. It looked like Shake. Like his form mm-hmm. sort of looked like Shake, the way he followed through and the way he... Um, but Because I, I just couldn't have imagined Maxi shooting that, that ball. I still... He's still, you know, unlikely to play very much, if at all, in the playoffs. But it was a yeah. really nice game from him, I thought. Totally. I mean, I yeah. think that... I think he's been... He, he's... Still in limited time, but you can see him like turning a corner. You can see him like finding how he's useful. You can see him being just really willing to shoot. And there was a video of that I forget his name, his whatever his trainer posted that like showed his the improvements to his jumper and how much more how much smoother it's gotten and, and from from distance. Whereas earlier in the season, he had to like take a couple dribbles, get to the elbow type of thing where he's like that's when it looks good he's now the jumper looks the same from from nba three range where where it wasn't before and that's and that's big for for his development and i thought it was nice the team like still really likes him driving the ball and like there's a lot of there's been i think there were like three or four times when he had to switch on him whether it was like cousins or pat patterson and they were just like clear out he's got a mismatch take him to the rim. And it was just like a really nice, for a rookie, in a game that matters, and he gave them a big boost, like, it's a big vote of confidence. And, and he can finish with both hands, and he's got that little, like, keep the ball away type of thing. It's really, I'm, I keep looking forward to him drawing more fouls. But, like, a good, he had a great start to the season, and then, like, a pretty 
saggy what what really does he do extremely well middle where you're just kind of a rookie wall that he looks like a little bit a little bit frenetic and in, in not a not a composed way but I think he's bounced back and shown that, like he's gonna he's going to be a, a big piece uh, either of this team going forward or, or of, a, of a big trade to, to bring in another another veteran player that would be huge um, oh sorry go ahead Oh, I was just going to say the the last thing I had I'll I'll address with an email from John or from Matt. It's a given that Donovan Mitchell has loser energy, so it's been sad seeing Shake take this turn. I'm not saying Shake can't be saved, but I'm close to being done with his pouting when the ball doesn't get swung his way. He's an emotional liability, and Corkmoss deserves a spot in the playoff rotation over him. The subject line of the email was Shake has uh, loser energy. Do you think Shake has loser energy? No, I think that's I think that sucks. I think uh does he like complain to the officials too much? Probably. Probably, especially for for how uh he's not, you know, he hasn't quite earned the reputation of deserving right. it yet, but he does get a bad whistle. Like they he there are times when he's getting hit and he's driving and they're not awarding him with calls. Do you think it's because he has loser energy? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it just takes time sometimes. I think he's yeah. he's He's long and still pretty skinny, and so he should be getting more calls, and he's just not. Um, but he will eventually, and and his and his shot has been good lately. He's two for four from three last night. Um, there was a uh, there was a nice a nice moment of, I think Shake and Maxi have been finding each other when they're on the court together. I feel like they have a nice little feel for each other. Um, there, I've talked about this before, like in transition, how. Um, I I prefer dunks in transition over threes. I know that it is like mathematically like you know you want you want the threes, and I'm I'm not I'm very pro no. taking a lot of three pointers. But dunk if dunk is over dunk on three. The table, dunk is over if three. In terms of yeah, if there's an easy dunk on the table, I would yeah. take it. And so I think a lot of times just just simply every time everybody flaring out to three is a little frustrating for me, just because it's like it's a momentum killer a little bit if they don't make that. Whereas Getting to the line, getting to getting a dunk is is keeps that keeps that going, um, and I think that this team has done a, a better job lately of having some people float out to three, which they absolutely should for spacing, but also having a couple guys roll to the rim. And I think there's risk of gunking it up a little bit of of getting a little bit of you know 2019 26ers offense where they're everybody's bumping into each other, but around like crafty ball handling and passing, whether that's Ben or Shake or or Maxi. There was a couple nice rolls to the rim last night that, I, that that were good to see, and I I just I feel like that is good for the offense and good to keep the defense honest so that they're not only flying out to threes, um, and you can get those open looks later. Um, I thought I thought Ben had a pretty nice game, uh, especially defensively, getting everybody's grill and, and all that, making things happen. I enjoyed the uh, the, the double spin move uh, finish. Um, I think I was on Marcus Morris, who always, him and Ben always have uh, fun beef with each other. And I loved, we talked about Korkmaz, but I loved the, this is something that, you know, Lonzo and LaMelo do that I would love Ben to do more. And maybe it's just because the, the Sixers are a relatively conservative team as far as deep passes go. But that a big long outlet pass to Korkmaz uh, for the N1 in like a, a big guts of the game, end of the, like under yeah, the left. Yeah, it's a great pass. Great pass and a great, great finish from Korkmaz. It was just like, Make, stretching the defense a little bit more in that way and, 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 and not playing. So it's, it's like half conservative and half just like, ah, they feel like they just miss a bunch of like long passes, like those kinds of things. And, and it was nice to see. 
Um, and I want to talk. I want to mention last podcast we talked about how I think it was last podcast how Joel kept getting doubled in the post before the pass was even thrown, yeah. and it was Ben throwing that pass, and that just can't happen. And a similar thing was was starting to happen in this game. Ben had Rondo on him, and Rondo just kept dropping. And instead of uh, Ben continuing to try to do it, he just drove the ball, um, pushed hard, and then forced the defense to collapse and kicked it to shake for a corner three. And it was just a nice, like, all right, if you're going to do this, then I'm going to react accordingly, not just keep trying to do the thing that you're taking away already. And and then and then after you can get the ball to Joel, the nail or whatever. I thought it was nice. Um, are you uh, you ready for next segment? No, I want to call out. I have, I have many more things. I thought it was a great Danny Green game. A great <laughs> Danny Green. How many things? Both. <laughs> Okay, go ahead. What? Go ahead. I'm saying no, go ahead. I mean, a, another big steals and blocks. I love watching this team like just get pokes and and adjust shots and and having both Ben Ben and Matisse having huge closeouts um, in the corner, same corner. One on Matisse on Kennard, Ben on Pat Patterson, and Danny Danny had a bunch of steals and blocks, including a big contest on a game tying Marcus Morris three after hitting those two big free throws that Rondo was trying to get in his head on. Uh, it was just nice. It was just a really nice composed game, and I I feel the same as you. Like he's been he's been so hot lately from three that like I'm very concerned about eventually w- at what point that that tails off. But he's been awesome. He's beloved. Uh, he's got the clutch gene, man. I I feel I'm not gonna get to three game winners this year, obviously. But I feel like he's hit so I many. I might give you one on those foul shots. I might yeah. give you one on those foul shots. The foul shots plus the closeout. I, I will award you one game winner there. Thank you, because I. I think there's there's been shots throughout the year that have come in like quasi game winner territory that he's hit, yeah. and I think the combination of all of them should equal one, and I appreciate that. I'll take it. I agree with you. There you go. I'm being generous. Uh, okay. Quick thing about the bench: we got some Anthony Tolliver minutes, more than yeah. I expected. Probably uh, he looked quite rusty. One of his first <laughs> shot was uh, one of the rustiest things I've ever seen, like a yep. friggin' old ass roof. That kind of rusty. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed his presence there. I think I could tell he was trying hard, and and I thought that him pairing him and Mike Scott and being like, they're both kind of small ball fives can make it work type of thing. Um, he had a good. I mean, look, we have to give him credit. First game back in like a year and a half or whatever, uh, and he blocks Paul George at the rim at a at a big mm-hmm. uh, big posterizing moment that he that he fought back from. There's a. When da- when he signed when he signed here, Daryl posted the picture uh, or the video of uh, of Tolliver blocking Giannis at the rim, and his, his first game back, he did the same thing to Paul George, which was pretty dope. Um, but I thought it was nice. I thought it was I, I, I like look. Doc gave Paul Reed a shot. B-ball Paul. No, uh, it didn't work. It was a really rough rough three minutes for B-ball Paul. Yeah. One, of the, one of the roughest I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Doc has bad. said he's not ready. I love Paul, but he's not ready. Uh, which is uh, true at this point. Um, he looked a little bit more like, I don't know, uh, rugby Paul. Yeah, I did. Uh, n- <laughs> it's not, not quite b-ball, b-ball yeah. enough for me there. Um, but it was uh, it was good to see. Uh, Mike took nine threes, which is just like some are going to go and some aren't. He he made two of them, but I thought it was I thought it was like as far as surviving the bench minutes, I thought they did a pretty good job. There's always, it's harder to do when, when you're down a couple starters in, in Seth and Tobias. And you and Doc always wants to have like, you know, lately, it's like give me one starter on the bench unit to try to just mobilize. In this game, it was Danny, which is not necessarily his best skill as far as, you know, controlling a, a unit. Um, but it was, I thought they they treaded water enough and, and, and survived enough. And I, I look forward to seeing like, 
I mean, that, that first shot, his first shot attempt, Anthony Tolliver's, was was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. It was uh, rough. It, yeah. it was it was it may have been his first time shooting a basketball since uh, last August. But uh, I I feel optimistic that he's going to help this team and 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 be useful going forward. Well, we'll see. And if he's not, they'll put somebody. It was it was you watch Patrick Patterson in there, and obviously there's one good Patrick Patterson game, but. I know. Um, but I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, why can't we have him? Like, you know what I mean? And he's he's actually been good on good teams before Patrick Patterson has in that yeah. sort of exact role. But um, it was, you know, I'm watching him and I'm like, Gee, just give us one fucking guy like that. Holy cow. Yeah. I think it'll be, I think it'll get there. I think, I think it'll get, it's, it's the, the bench, the bench I'm at a place where they are who they are and they're going to be, um, especially without George Hill, they're going to be, you know, cobbling together useful minutes. They're going to be trying, trying as hard as they can and failing a number of times. But as long as they don't totally fall off a cliff like previous iterations of a Sixers bench have, then it's fine. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, end of shot clock possessions where nobody can really do anything. It, just be, it, just be, it becomes the shake show a little bit. Um, but I do want to say, like, I, I feel like I, I really, I strongly feel, I know we predicted the, um, Matisse shooting renaissance and it was there for a little and then AU doubled down on it and it's kind of been if he's, he, but he's been totally fine like he had yeah. a horrible first half of the season shooting and mm-hmm. since then he's been like pretty good he's been fine and yeah yeah but he looks way more confident doing it like you could just you can sense that he is he is more trusting in his own shot whereas before it was like kind of trying to aim it and like guide it and it just wasn't really working um he had a, I thought he had a nice, a nice game in this one, and including a little, he's got the little like interior hook shot kind of down. He, he hit one off an Embiid double, and it was very, it's always very like ah, you're scared when he does it, but he seems like he's fine doing it. And it's just he, he, he took a bad three at the end there. It was like early in the shot clock. He was very open, early. which I get. Yeah, but like it would have been great if it went in, but like you just can't. If you're gonna take that shot, like with like you know 16 seconds left in the shot clock when you're when you're up and you just gotta run clock. It better go in, and it didn't. But yeah. um, I just love. The, I just really like this team, man. I, I think they're. I think they have as good a shot as any to to get to the finals. Um, this Brooklyn team is going to be really good. But like, I love the. I love the level of attachment they have on the defensive end. Um, just like with length and shot blocking, and as they turn the intensity on, you saw like Joel was was hedging more on. Uh, and like some blowing up some pick and rolls and, and stunting and, and showing what he can do there. And it's just when they when they have their def- like their defensive team in, like last year's team was was like, hey, look at all these guys that could be good together. And like in the playoffs, maybe they'll turn it on. And it just never you never saw it enough, you know? This time, this season we've seen we've seen how good they are defensively. We've seen them uh ratchet up the intensity and 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 cause steals and, and prevent shots at the rim and and force you know, shot clock violations a ton, and 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 I think the combination of intelligence and 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 length and calculated gambles on on steals, and now that Korkmaz is a, is a you know second team all, all NBA defense team type of guy, um, it just it there's a, there's a specialness to their defense that the offense can can sag a lot, but I think the defense is going to be really really special in the playoffs and. And, and give them a really good chance to, to go places. Yeah, the, the defense has improved in a way that I hadn't even seen in the first half of the year that had me doubting their chances more because clearly the defense is going to have to carry them in a way that 
you know, uh, is is rare, I would say, for a, a team that's in the NBA Finals that is carried by their defense. So yeah. it would have to be pretty elite, and they've they've certainly you know gotten in that in that conversation. I think, Mike, it's time for everyone's favorite award, the By Nature Pet Foods Soft Shit Award. But we have a new format. I didn't even mm-hmm. warn you of. So here's the format. I'm going to okay. tell the listener and you that it's time for the soft shit award. I will talk about by nature pet foods. And then at the end of it, you will be so inspired by the talking I've done about by nature pet foods, you'll be able to give out the soft shit award. Great. You ready? All right. So prepare yourself. By nature pet food. I am uh, obsessed with my dog and my cat. And I know most people who are dog owners, cat owners live for their pets. You can't do that. You can't be that person without making sure that your pet is eating the best food possible. You are what you eat is a totally legit thing. So why not make sure your dog or cat is eating the best? And that's by nature. Now, you could be saying, Spike, you talk shit all the time. Are you talking, there's that thin air thing in Denver. There's all that kind of shit that you talk. Are you bullshitting on this one? I am not. There are specific reasons why this is the best. It is made with better ingredients. That's, that's like simple, right? When you think about food for yourself, if you make it with better ingredients, it's going to be better food. Premium proteins, super ingredients, super probiotics, apple cider vinegar, blueberries, coconut oil, spinach, all that in the pet food, in the dog and the cat food. Also, how else? It is slow cooked, which makes it more nutrient rich, which makes your pet, who is much smaller and has whose metabolism works a lot faster, it can get more nutrients out of the food. It's better. Super fusion, slow cooking, by nature pet foods. You don't have to worry about, you know, when you used to buy pet food, you're like, oh, is it an indoor cat? Is it an outdoor cat? Is it a small dog, big dog? No, because good food is good food for any size dog or any size cat. None of it is confusing. By nature pet foods. We have a promo code for two separate places, chewy.com and amazon.com. Your first purchase of by nature is 20% off with promo code 20RTRS. That's both Amazon and Chewy. No recalls in 40 years, company that owns by nature, family owned, family operated. And now we have come to the time when we give out the soft shit award. It is called the soft shit award because if your pet eats by nature, you're no longer going to have to worry about wiping all that soft shit out of the grass. No, there's going to be a firm, firm shit. Mike, the by nature pet food soft shit award goes to. I think there's only one answer and it's. Denver Nuggets fans. I'm not. By this point in the podcast, we will have talked about it, um, and the reasons will have been clear. Uh, Thank God. But we're yeah, on the same no, page. There's no, and it's ironic because Nuggets are tri- typically little hard, tiny little shits. Right. Um, and these are these are soft soft Nuggets. So sorry to those guys. No, well, it it had to happen eventually. So I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Hey, promo code twenty RTRS Amazon and Chewy.com. Buy Nature Pet Foods. The official pet food of the Ricky. Oh, I wanted to give a shout out. We have a new uh, member of the Good Girl Club. That is Penny. You can see her on our Instagram, in the gallery, on the website. Um, Penny, just a beautiful looking dog. Um, I can't even, she looks like a little bit of pit, a little bit of boxer. Beautiful dog. All right, by nature. The uh, hard to stomach YouTube comment of the week that actually we do twice a week. And usually I pick more than one comment. If you leave us a comment right there on YouTube. I do have three, two of them we don't even have to react to. I just wanted to read them. The first one, what the hell is the rights to Ricky Sanchez, LOL? 
Why bring light to that name? It's a joke. Oh, I get it. It's supposed to be clever. LOL, but it's stupid. Yeah, I'm out. So it was nice having you. Um, the the comments, second the one. It's like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's hard to stomach. You get people, you get sort of, you know, I think, I think YouTube sometimes is like. Uh, Passersby. There's a, big loud, there's a big loud party going on. <laughs> And somebody sort of just like wanders past yep. and inexplicably thinks like, it's my time. I got to say something. I'm going to say something to these people that I don't know. And then they're like, here I am. And then they just keep on wandering by. So Yep. In the regular that. podcast world, you have to pick us and listen to us. YouTube, someone's suggesting you to us sometimes. So Which shouldn't happen. I don't think yeah. should, we should be suggested to anyone. Uh, the next one, with my glasses off, this looked like Travis Barker chatting with Eddie Vedder, which sure. I, thought, I thought was funny. And then finally, the only commentable one, the clip, and this comes from Subash Ramahan. Clippers should be on that list of rivalries. There are two major storylines, Kawhi versus us and PG versus Doc. My comment on this is that- I would add Marcus Morris versus Ben. Right. I don't know how you, you feel. My thought is Kawhi is so singularly blank as a yeah. entity, I feel no animosity toward him. I still feel more animosity toward Toronto, which he's not even there and was barely part of the franchise than I do Kawhi. And the second point is like the PG Doc Rivers, Seth Curry stuff is too much for me. And I don't even want to acknowledge it for a I story. Kind of, I, kind of, I kind of agree on that on that front. The Kawhi thing especially was, was an act of God that yeah. like I don't think was related to Kawhi or uh, the city of Toronto or like Kyle Lowry or Fred VanVleet or whatever, especially now Danny Green is on, on our team and mm-hmm. was an was important part of that team, even though he was bad in that series. Uh, yeah, I feel, I feel more animosity toward a higher power um, for le- allowing that to happen than I do... Um, Kawhi specifically, or Nick Nurse, or whatever. I do. I do. I mean, I will say that he did travel before he dribbled the ball, and that should have been called. And I'm, I, that 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 will be. I'll cling to that forever. But uh, yeah, I don't. I the Clippers, and you feel this, and Alyssa, growing up a Lakers fan and hating the Clippers forever, uh, feels intense. Uh, a combination of animosity and and total uh, blank, just apathy toward them because she just thinks that they're. Uh, a loser franchise with in- entirely loser colors and loser energy and uh, and a total frauds. So I don't think that she would even consider the Clippers anyone's rival because they're not good enough to be. Yeah, um, they're vibeless. There's no there's no good vibes, yeah. bad vibes. It's just like nothing. I I I give them a zero percent chance of winning the title. Wow, you picked them last year, didn't you? I did, and I was like, and I was so wrong. And it, they're. They went from a team that was greater than the sum of their parts to a team that is lesser than the sum of their parts. I think they, yeah. you, you just watch them and even Paul George, his numbers are great and he's a great player, but there's, it's just vibeless. You can't win, you can't win a championship being totally vibeless. You don't need to, everyone doesn't need to love each other, obviously, but you can't be vibeless and they're vibeless. So, yeah. Um, yep, I agree. The, so we've seen, this week with Embiid's appearance in on the low post and Ben Simmons's interview in GQ that both guys are 
doing full award push and bead for MVP and slight, slightly toward defensive player of the year and then for defensive player of the year. I thought it is the, nice that Embiid is like, I'm going to be the MVP. I should also be defensive player of the year, but he wants it. He should get it. He should get it. Yes. It was it, my nice favorite color. part of it was he was he said he should be defensive player of the year. And Zach's like, well, what about Ben? He's like, you know, you're right. Ben really wants it. He's great. He should get it. But you can tell deep yeah. down. Why do you think my perception of Embiid and <clears throat> when you look at defensive player of the year odds, he's like eighth, you know, he's like plus 4,000. There's there's a lot of people considered above him. <clears throat> I I would say for the last three years that his defensive impact is actually underrated. And I don't know why that is. Do you think he's underrated as a defender? It seems like we talk about his defense more than the general market talks about his defense. And why do you think that is? And is there anything he could do to change that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's there's just a, a level of showiness that his defense doesn't have. Like, mm-hmm. Gobert and Miles Turner both block more shots. Um, and I think they get challenged more. I think the combination of Embiid... Um, deterring offensive sets by like footwork and positioning, which he talked and about. Simply, yeah, and simply yeah. like being there and and not uh, committing fouls, which he uh, has done at an extremely low rate this year, especially for a center. Um, I think just makes gives him fewer opportunities to show off. Like I'm the defensive player of the year, whereas. You know, guys like Gobert and Miles Turner block a ton of shots and and can and can hang their hat on that kind of thing, and Ben can do a switch everything and 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 hound a ball handler at the top of the key or or force force decisions with length or whatever it is. Joel is just like a real anchor in the in every sense of the word um, and deters a ton of stuff. But they got you know guys do score on him because he doesn't want to foul and stuff, and so I think it, it it's for, visually unless you're looking at like the on-off numbers and obviously the defensive metrics are not perfect as, as Daryl said on the podcast, but I think it's just, it's a combination of all those things that uh, the narrative and the visuals of this guy is just not, his, his offense is really shiny. I think if there's a li- limited amount of things you can, um, you know, highlight and like right, call right, out. Right. Yep. Whereas those other guys can. And and, and now that his offense is, is so much improved, it becomes like, okay, he's this guy. And I think it's hard hard to digest all of it. We we have come a long way as far as talking about what is good defensively, you know, going from blocks and steals not ten or fifteen years ago to going to a world where Roy Hibbert was very appreciated because the difference he brought on the on the court without blocking a ton of shots, just his his presence being there. I, I do agree that visually, now that people are, I would say, paying a little less att- less attention to all defensive metrics, even blocks, steals, but even like the advanced ones that Daryl said are not important. That that visually you need you need more of that, and he doesn't do it. And I, I hope interviews like this bring to light what he does and that some year, you know, like it's, it was a famous story that Wilt decided to lead the league and assist one year, so he did it. Right. I would love for Embiid to go into a season and say this is going to be the year that I let everyone know what I'm like defensively because, I, you know, he's, he's their most important player on both sides of the court, and the number of good teams – that you can say that about one player 
in the NBA. You know what I mean? Like it's so limited to be the best player on offense and the best player on defense on a team that is a one seed. You know, I just think his defense is underrated. So yeah, I was. Glad I mean, at this at this point, it is. I think I think everybody knows he's a good defensive player, but I don't think they realize how good. The, there were a bunch of things in the interview that I suppose you could take out of. You know, I liked him talking about his his uh, being a dad. Um, I thought. It, it was funny to me when Zach Lowe brought up the dietitian thing. Joel still like insists on pushing back, saying that he's still eating all the same things that he did before, <laughs> which he's famous for for doing. But the 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 overarching thing that I took away from it was that he just sounds more grown up and settled, and you know, aware of who he is and what he wants to convey than he ever has, and it goes perfectly in concert with how he plays, you know? And I think obviously being a father, I think has has helped him with that. Uh, obviously going through last year, they're probably, and just getting older, you know, he's, he's is he 27 or he's gonna be 27, which is a, you know, he, you get older. But I, I took away from it, here's a guy who probably would have gone into the Zach Lowe interview trying to give away as little as possible. You know, answer the questions, be funny, but, but talk his way through it and get out of it. But he went into this interview with something that he wanted to get across, I felt like. And then when he got asked hard questions, like the one about tanking to the top or personal questions, like the one about being a dad, he was able to answer those questions without giving everything, but still answer them thoughtfully and, and funny too. I, I thought it just showed a, a really like mature version of Embiid. Yeah, I agree. I thought, he was, yeah. I thought he was great, and he's still got a couple, you know, digs up his sleeve and all that stuff, but yeah. he's just intensely entertaining and, and human to, to listen to. I've said this before, and I, I just said it now, but the I'm looking at his stats personal foul-wise. He's averaging 2.6 personal fouls per 36 minutes after the first four years of his career being 5.1, 3.9, 3.5, 4.2 last year. 2.6 wow. is ridiculous. That is that. Like, so what is like Miles Turner about, average? Can you look that up? Let's check. Yeah, we don't talk enough about how like n- simply not fouling is a mm-hmm. really good form of defense. We talk about like, hey, it's good to get to the line. You want you want you want to you know get to the line offensively, but just as importantly is not allowing them to get to the line on the other end. Um, and he's become like the master of that. So Miles Turner this year is 4.1. After last, yeah. after the past four years being in the mid threes, so it's, he's, he's his personal fouls per thirty six has gone up this year, um, as has his shot blocking, which is which is very good. But I think the the sort of you know IQ side of thing, the the thinking the long game side of things is Embiid fouling so rarely is is really huge for his ability to stay on the court and keep his team out of foul trouble and and, and win. Good, good for his ability to be available, would you say? That's right. That's right. You know what? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so there is that. I recommend everybody listen to it. Obviously, Zach Lowe, friend of the pod, you know, um, but I, th- I thought it was a really, really good listen just to listen to Joel talking comfortably like that. There was also an interview in GQ with Ben Simmons. I'll tell you. The thing that was most disconcerting to me in the entire interview, which was good and, and mostly harmless, was this question. Who is the funniest person on the Sixers? His response, probably Dwight. He's just funny, man. He cracks me up. 
He's always happy, always smiling, always got positive energy. That's how he is. Everywhere he goes, he brings that. I just think it's a warning sign when you think Dwight Howard's the funniest guy on the team. No, I think I think if this this is new Dwight. This is okay. beloved in, as a Laker Dwight, and this is having uh, not a leader Dwight, not the best player, not on the a team, leader, Dwight. just like there, just happy to be there, old ass, crotchety, you know, getting the same offensive fouls every single game, and that's funny. That that is inherently doing that as as a repeated thing. You know, comedy is in repetition, and Dwight finds comedy in continuing to commit the same offensive fouls every game. Um, and I get it. I get it, and I appreciate it. Um, I think, yeah, he's way more endearing when he's when you're not counting on him to to do anything aside from, you know, punch people in the mouth and rebound. There was a, a couple of, ex- of exchanges in the interview about Simmons and the the media, and um, you know, there was the the Wizards announcer that said he was the most overrated player in the NBA. And Ben's response was, the thing with people is they think they know something so well. This guy thinks he knows basketball so well, and that may be because he watches the games, but does he really know the game? Did he grow up playing the game? Has he been in different situations? Has he run the point guard position? Has he played at this level? Like everybody wants to feel like they know the game, and that's just not the case. Draymond Green says it all the time, that's not the case. Everybody knows everything about something as much as they think they know. It's funny because I I think about that, that response in two ways. On one hand, I think it's horseshit to say that like you didn't play in the NBA and you can't be critical of somebody of or, or even does that does that mean that positive you know reaction to what you do too is that also bullshit I, I don't agree with that I do like the chip on his shoulder stuff and wonder if he could use that as like he does seem to need something to drive him. And I wonder if that could be one of those things that like proving people wrong is something. Like I wish he would take this and think to himself instead of, and I wonder what he actually thinks. Instead of thinking, well, that guy doesn't know anything. He didn't play point guard in the NBA. Instead of like, fuck that guy. You know, like I'm gonna show him he's wrong. I'm, I like that he takes offense to it. His reaction to it is like weird to me, so. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. I think there's a little bit of that with everybody, especially like you can be a a dumb person and not know basketball, even if you've played in the NBA right. or if you're a person that's not like Shaq is a complete idiot. He's not paying attention. He doesn't know anything about anything, and he was an extremely successful NBA player. Um, and the, and on the flip side, obviously, there's people that cover the NBA that haven't played in the NBA that are also uh, deeply deeply wrong. Um, that's just going to be the inherent conflict in in players all the time. It's not. It doesn't surprise me that Ben is a like a you didn't play the game type of guy in a way that Draymond is also. But um, yeah, I mean, I think he's. I think I think he's definite chip on his shoulder guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I I don't know what motivates guys or what needs to motivate guys. I think uh, he's been. Up and down, and his defense has been excellent. And I, th- I think he does deserve Defensive Player of the Year this year. Um, and it'd be nice. To, it, I, I'm, I'm reserving any judgment of like what kind of, you know, building block as far as like can can this is this what is Ben's ceiling 
and on on this team or on on any other team until like we see them what happens in the playoffs. I think it's like mm-hmm. there's things there's the the thing with Ben that always is you go back and forth about is like what is being too passive and being so, somewhat sometimes invisible on the court and what is like a point guard deferring to the hot hand or knowing knowing his role and not trying to do too much. Like I think that's the that's the constant push and pull of like we want him to be aggressive, but then if all of a sudden he be, he is too aggressive and then he has six or seven turnovers and he's missing shots at the rim and not getting foul calls, whatever it is, then it's like that's a bad game from Ben. So it's it's the it's the like pick your spots, be aggressive in those spots, and then allow the other guys to operate um, and save energy for the defensive end, kind of thing. It's it's just a I, constant push and pull there. I think what people say and what they mean in terms of aggressiveness is two separate things. I don't. I think they want him to have more impact, not more, and they measure impact in what is perceived as aggressiveness. And what what it typically gets tied into is points, which Doc, like, I can't wait till the playoffs, but Doc will go, well, I don't care how many points he scores. But I think if you, if you were to make the argument that he needs to have more impact, you'd be like, okay, well, you don't need to score more points, but you do then need to have more than six assists. You know, and, you know, you, you need to your your stamp needs to be on the offensive game more than it is. And I think instead of tying it to aggressiveness, which we just, you know, is something that we look at and say, well, he's not going to the rim. He's not being aggressive. He's not going fouled. He's not getting aggressive. I think the impact offensively, everybody just wants his impact to be greater. And yeah. I think at, at this point, you know, I'm the shooting thing. Everybody's, you know, like, let, let's. Not stop talking about it because it's not important. Stop talking about it because it's not there. And say that you need to be more impactful offensively. Mm-hmm. And let's not worry about aggressive or shooting. But there needs to be more that comes out of you on offense. Yeah. I don't disagree. I think that's a, that's a feeling. I'm not going to weigh it based on like how many shot attempts or how many free throw attempts or how many assists. Because a lot of times just him like beating his first man then starts the like swing, closeout swing, uh, attack a closeout situation that they get good shots off of. Um, so it's just more of, in my mind, when you watch Ben, it's, it becomes like a, how, how is he making his presence felt in this game on, on both sides of the ball and in transition? Um, and I'm excited to see a, a, a playoff game that he like, you know, borderline takes over. Like, I don't think he's ever, he's not going to be like, here's, here's Ben operating at the nail like 10 times a game, but in his way he can take over games and I, and I want to see it on a big stage. Sixers have a huge win last night and you know, it's a huge win. When L. Al Pavorsky doesn't wait until the next morning to post the screenshot of the score from the update on his app, he did it right after the game. You know he's aware that we're tracking this now. <laughs> you know he's aware. Um, L. Al Pavorsky. One thing we talk about all the time is engagement rings with L. L. The the first sponsor of the rights to Ricky Sanchez Sanchez podcast. But something that's coming up is uh, Mother's Day, and. You know, jewelry, great for your wife for Mother's Day. I'm not talking about you want to buy something for your mom, go ahead. But like a lot of times, husbands looking to buy something for their wives or significant other for Mother's Day, LL can help you out with that. Um, Mike, we got an email regarding LL. I thought you would have a good answer for this. John says, let's say the Sixers win a championship and the organization contracts LL to design the ring. LL reaches out to the Ricky to add one design element to the ring. What do you guys choose to sneak into the ring and why? 
Oh, I thought it was going to be a multiple choice. Uh, nah. I think they should do that. I think that, I think he's he's earned it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it, uh, I mean he's already made the TTP ring, which is iconic. Yeah. Um, and I think that it should be some some level of that. It's better than putting like Boathouse Row on there or something. <laughs> New Philadelphia. Put a, Philadelphia. something that's New Philadelphia. LL's been in business 32 years, fucking crushing it. Takes care of all of our uh, listeners. If it's an engagement ring, if it's a Mother's Day gift, whatever it is, LL Pavorsky Jewelers is your spot. 707 Walnut. It's by appointment only. So call, email, let them know. You don't have to come in. You can do it online. 215-627-2252 is the phone number. Lee at LLPavorsky.com or tweet at him at LLPavorsky. Always supportive of everything we do, including our charities, Coded by Kids and the Providence Animal Center. L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. Take a shot on him because he'll certainly take a screenshot on you. And then two more quick things. Do you believe that he never watches ESPN? Um, yeah, I do. I, yeah. think it, I think it's good. I think I think Tyler Tynes, who did the interview for GQ, did a, did a good job asking interesting questions and, and making... and. Uh, making it feel more personable than just a, just a, what do you think about defensive player of the year kind of thing. Um, and I would say that he's a, you know, he's a weird guy. He's got his weird, weird pet situation. He loves playing the, the, the video games that I don't really understand. Um, I believe that he, he's just removed from it in that sense. I'm sure he, you know, sees stuff on Instagram, but I, I believe that he's not watching sports center like a, you know, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. and uh, Jerry Maguire. And then my my favorite just exchange was he, he gets asked about Defensive Player of the Year and he says, I tell them all the time, yo, I'm Defensive Player of the Year and I'm not, I'm not even questioning it right now. I know I am. That's a fact. And members, a number of certain stats are cool with certain players, but at the end of the day, the example would be last night. I was supposed to guard Kevin Durant. We match up well size-wise. KD is out. The next person I'm guarding is Kyrie Irving. Like, who's doing that? It's not many players who are doing that. Uh, and to be doing that at a high level, I just don't think there's anybody really doing that. I mean, Kawhi, when he was playing defense like that, of course, but it's not many guys. And the response is, didn't Kyrie have 37 last night, though? <laughs> Which is, I give credit, a good response. And he goes, yeah, but we won. His plus minus was negative, too. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's the thing with Ben defensively is that guys sometimes do score on him. Like Paul George scored, <laughs> yeah. and, and you know Danny was on Paul for a lot of the game. But it's it's a matter of like yeah, make him work for when, it, make him work for it. And you're going to when you cover the best player every night, which Ben does for at least part of the game, and and almost always in the guts of the game, um, they're going to score. But mm-hmm. it's just about like making plays in those in those big moments and and like making it hard on them and and tiring them out so that they you know. Our steps low when it counts, and it, but yeah, I mean, Kyrie's going to get his, Paul George's going to get his. Like, there's only so much you can do, and so I do think it is defense, especially, is so much more about like context and and and, and being doing what you're supposed to do, not just how much did the guy score on you, even though that becomes the sort of popular culture line. Couple of emails, right? Streaky Sanchez at gmail.com. Please send us a basketball and non-basketball question. The first one isn't a question. I just thought it, w- it warmed my heart a little bit. I thought it would warm yours. This comes from Michaela. Hey, Spike and Mike, I have a little story about how the Sixers and Ricky got me through my first year of law school. Starting law school fully remote was pretty tough and it was made worse by the fact that this was during the cursed bubble playoffs. Mm. So in one group, we were going around introducing ourselves and sharing a fun fact. I said, hi, I'm Michaela. 
and unfortunately, I'm a Sixers fan. This did not get much reaction from, a, from the anxious new law student crowd on Zoom, but a few minutes later, I received a DM from a girl named Claire just saying, go Sixers. <laughs> I asked her about whether she was also from the Philly area. She said, no, but my boyfriend is from Bucks County and got me hooked on listening to this weird Sixers podcast. I replied in disbelief, the right Ricky Sanchez. And she said, you know, Lickface. And that was how I made my first and for a very long time, only friend at law school. That's nice. I'm attaching a photo of us at a Sixers-Knicks game at MSG a few weeks back. We both moved to New York City between semesters to be closer to school, where we got harassed by Knicks fans because every time Tobias went to the foul line, we chanted, he's an all-star. This really came back to bite us when he missed the two game-clinching free throws at the end of regulation. We're about to enter the stressful final season, and it would be great to surprise Claire with a shout-out on the pod since I haven't told her I was writing this email. Also, do you think you can get us a job post-grad with Cornblow and Cornblow? Thanks, yes. Michaela. So, yes, we will work on that. I um, love that. What yeah. a nice thing. Yep. Um, you know, shared interest is how you make friends. Um, if we can be part of that shared interest, Michaela and Claire, glad to have you aboard. Um and we hope one day you're successful enough not to just join Cornblow and Cornblow, but to pay us more than Cornblow does, <laughs> boot him from the pod. So, there you go. That's the goal. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Eddie uh, goes to Hofstra and wrote us an email and sent us a clip. Eddie uh, is a, a host on a TV show at Hofstra, a sports show, and did a two-minute rant of, I'll include the entire thing in the pod, right here, but about why Adam Silver should resign or apologize. And mm -hmm. here's, here's a bit of it. Dear Commissioner Adam Silver, the way I see it, you will have three options. Apologize to the Philadelphia 76ers, Sam Hinkie, and the fan base. Force Thunder GM Sam Presti to resign or resign yourself. <laughs> Last weekend, the Sixers and the OKC Thunder squared off, and the Thunder starters included the likes of Darius Baisley and Theo Maladon. Star guard Shea Gildas-Alexander is sitting due to injury, and the team has decided not to play Al Horford in favor of much younger talent. Much like the 2013-2015 Sixers who had Jakar Samson, Henry Sims, and Hollis Thompson. Now, it's been widely documented that NBA organizations since 2014, when the Sixers won just 18 games, the teams lobbied the league to intervene in Philly. And you, Adam Silver, you were instrumental, quote, in getting Jerry Colangelo and Sixers owner Josh Harris together. Jerry was brought on, and then not soon after, Hinky sends in a 13-page resignation letter to the team. And then Jerry gives his son, Brian Bernergate Colangelo, the keys to the team, and then steps away? The Sixers added 26 picks slash potential pick swaps in Hinky's tenure. His years were marked as the process, and the city of Philly trusted in Hinky. And the fan base was all in. And you, Commissioner Silver, took that away. According to Hinky, the process had three key parts. Use those draft picks to draft deep pools of young NBA players. In free agency, maintain flexible cap space to acquire bad contracts and more picks and young pieces. And then trade for young pieces to help you win games for the future. OKC currently has 34 picks on their docket, a young developing core, and have acquired multiple big contract vets in exchange for young players and draft capital. They just haven't said that they're trying to lose. So, Commissioner, you have three options. Admit you got it wrong, bring in a nepotist to get rid of OKC GM Sam Presti, or resign from your position. As I remember, the sanctity of the game, the integrity of the league, was more important than autonomy. Rights to Rick Sanchez forever. 
I await your response, Dave. <laughs> I like all hostage situations. Uh, and I think it's nice, nice of him to give him three options in a hostage uh, type crisis. I think it's really nice. And I think, I think Adam has good options. I think, I think yep. Dave, Dave Adam could, uh, could, could pick any one of those, and that would be fair. Can I tell you, for some reason, him wearing the mask alone on the set, like, <laughs> and muffling him makes it yeah. even better to me, you know? Yeah. Like, it, more hostage somehow. Some sort of hybrid of the movie Inside Man and... Uh, uh, Ransom? Uh, no, I was going to say uh, Celtic Pride, where they kidnap, <laughs> yeah. uh, they kidnap the, the jazz player. And so uh, I would say that that could be a movie where Adam Adam Silver gets kidnapped and also uh, robs a bank. So Eddie has uh, two questions. Spike, from a few years ago, you mentioned the theory of the two-star system providing more of an all-around team than the big threes that attempted to try and compete with Golden State. If I recall correctly, that the idea was in order to have a big three, they need to be top five in their position to be considered a championship big three. Obviously, the Sixers have that with Joel, but not with Simmons and Harris, yet I still feel good about our championship odds. Have the past few seasons changed your perspective on big threes? Um, they have not. I, uh, I do think that devoting that much of your cap to three players, if the, basically my theory was that the big three is a bad idea if the big three isn't big enough. And I, I do think it is much tougher to do that if you're, the three players that you're investing all that capital in aren't quite good enough. Um, well, least, you know, so I don't, I don't know. But I, I, the, the past I few seasons haven't on, changed it. I think it just depends on how you, how well you surround those guys. And I think that Brooklyn's done a great job of it, and some of it has been beneficial based on like people just wanting to play there. Um, obviously, we haven't talked about, but LaMarcus Aldridge retiring due to a heart condition is is sad for them and also hurts the sad for him personally obviously and then also hurts the team because they they were counting on those those minutes as a as sort of a stretch stretch five type of stabilizer um and you can look at Milwaukee who who has their own big three that is uh, a little obviously a little bit smaller uh, as far as bigness goes than than Brooklyn's and and you look at their their roster around them and you're like that's not great like i think Brooklyn's done a better job of of finding you know Bruce Brown, Nick Claxton, being you know getting gifted Blake and uh, you know Shamit and those kinds of things. Like having like okay, these guys are stable and 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 can play and can hang. So it's not just these three guys and then Scrubs, which I don't not to. I'm Milwaukee doesn't look great right now. I mean they look good because they're, they're those three guys, but around them and being asked to, for those guys to do pl you know playoff minutes and like Bobby Portis playoff minutes, like it's it's going to be dicey. So. Well, but but I think it just depends it, on who's surrounding them. But isn't the point, though, that the Brooklyn Big Three, or I would make the point that the Brooklyn Big Three, two of those players are two of the five best players in the NBA. So they're, um, first of all, that I think makes it more attractive for those players to go and play with them. But I think the second thing is that it gives them a larger margin of error with those other players. And that if you're if you've committed so much salary to, it's really, it doesn't mean that you can't win a championship that way. It just means team building becomes a lot harder it, because you have less of a margin for error. So players like Danny Green, Seth Curry, you know, Furkan Korkmaz are all more important to the Sixers because 
two of their big three are not, you know, top 10 or top 15 players. So. Yeah, I mean, I would just, in a vacuum, I, I would take Brooklyn's uh, outside of the big three over Milwaukee's outside of their big three, and I think it's because they've done a better job of, of drafting and acquiring talent. And it, it's been beneficial to the fact that they're in Brooklyn and probably that it's, you know, Durant and, and Irving for a while and now Harden. And Harden, yeah. Um, that is more appealing, but I also think a lot of it is that people want to come to Brooklyn more than they want to come to Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's both things, yeah. So I think, I mean, I, I think building a championship level team is hard no matter which direction you take it in. There's no, there's no mm-hmm. like, this is the safe, easy way to do it. Um, and I think if, if you ask the Lakers, like, hey, would you want to add, you know, Bradley Beal or like a third star to that, uh, to that AD and LeBron mix, they would say like, absolutely. I think it's just a matter of like, how can you, it, teams manifest how they do. And you, and you, I don't think that they necessarily saying like, do we want to devote this or this, then we have to, you have, you have to hit on, you know, cheap bench players no matter what. And I think Brooklyn right now is doing a better job of it than, than Milwaukee is. And his non-basketball question, what is objectively the best superpower to have? You can only have one distinct super ability, so you can't fly and have super strength. To me, it's teleportation and it's not even close. I mean, I would think of it like, what is me continuing to live my life not to be some sort of like circus act um what would make my life mm-hmm. easier and so yeah i mean maybe flying or teleportation would be would be kind of cool well that. if you could fly you would end up being a circus freak i think people would know fly that you sec- fly i could fly secretly i could be secret flying Everybody's leaving to go to, hey, we're all going to go to so-and-so for a happy hour. You come? And he's like, yeah, I'll go myself. And Mike just flies out the window. Yeah, <laughs> no one will notice. To, to secret teleport than it is to secret fly. Uh, probably. Because I, I, yeah. be, I couldn't fly. I couldn't say my, my superpower is uh, flying camouflaged. That feels like, a, feels like two separate things. And so. mine would be um, high character. So Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of good, good more questions, but the podcast is already too long. We'll get into them next time. Thanks for all the emails. I uh, want to wish my dog, Rebel, a happy seventh birthday. Um, I know you're listening to this. I love you, buddy. I can't believe you almost got in a fight with that other dog when I was walking you today. It made me hurt my back, but it's your birthday, and I'm, uh, I'm not going to be mad at you for it. We've reached so. the Spike is saying messages to his dog on the podcast mm-hmm. yep. place. I, that, I said like, it was too long. I said it was I too long. Sit, sit here for a second and, and, and just revel in how, how upsetting that is. Yeah, uh, I said it was too long. <laughs> uh, this last week's episode of Young Rock had mm-hmm. a lot of Philadelphia in it. Uh, mm-hmm. involved uh, Dwayne Johnson ordering a cheesesteak protein style um, and getting uh, shit for it from Philadelphia. So there's fun in there. I got an Amoroso Rolls reference on a national television show. So uh, watch Young Rock, Hulu, NBC. What is protein style? Oh, like in a bowl. Oh, no like bread. Cheesesteak bowl. Yeah. Okay. No bread. All right. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you this week. Have a good weekend. Are you down with TTP? Yeah. First place Sixers. They know Lickface. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, 
Then I went and went and fucked with you. What have you fucked with me? I'm gonna fucking kill you! Thanks for playing